gonna set my heart at ease. Gonna make a sound. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Chosen by Committee, the podcast where myself, Josh Heron, Christopher Munden, and John Rosenberg read through every Pulitzer Prize winning play so you don't have to, or so you'll join us and read along with us. Today, I am joined by uh, the editor of my heart, Christopher Munden. Hello, Josh. Hello, Josh. <laughs> uh, that was pretty close, right? <laughs> marriage counselor and world-class impressionist, John Rosenberg. Hello, Josh. Um, <laughs> oh, and I'm... Uh, Josh Heron, I'm a third grade teacher, theater critic, uh, Jew. I'm a Jewish person. And today is the end of the, the days of Oz um, and sundown. Um, so I've been inscribed into the book of life for one more year. One more year. Um, all right. And today- Are you supposed to not eat today? You're supposed to not eat. I broke that real early <laughs> in the day. Oh dear. Um, I'm actually not a big faster. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I had, a, I, had pl- I had big plans and it all. And they're also not clear on what time zone they're talking about, right? No, nah, it's all pretty clear. It's pretty clear. <laughs> <laughs> Do it tonight. I'm not. Um, uh, this week we have read uh, everyone's favorite comedy. Uh, about an imaginary rabbit friend, um, Harvey from 1944, but it won the Pulitzer in 1945 uh, by Mary Chase. Does someone want to give a, a brief synopsis? Christopher? It starts in um, the Dowd family residence. And we have, um, what are the mother and daughter's names? Vita and Myrtle May. Vita and Myrtle <laughs> May are preparing, or they're, they're having right now a party. And they have some society folk there. They get a call from the society newspaper. Everything's maybe going to go okay. But they are worried that um, uh, Vita's brother, uh, um, the owner of the house is going to come back and embarrass them. Elwood. And sure enough, Elwood comes back and he begins to introduce to um, the party guests, including an aunt who hadn't seen them for a while, his friend Harvey, who is a six foot or six foot six, something like that, tall rabbit, a puka, who is like a... Um, uh, well, no, we're told it's like a, a guardian spirit or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. It's like a, Kel- a Celtic uh, trickster. Yeah, but watching over him. Um, and then I guess it's a second act, and Vita is going to have Harvey, no, um, well, Harvey, Elwood, mm-hmm. um, taking to a sanitarium, and... Um, <laughs> She starts to tell 
the psychiatrists about Harvey and they instead commit her, release Elwood, apologize for this mistake, um, but then later again realize that there wasn't a mistake and that Vita was um, let go um, or should be let go. What happens in the third act? And in the third act, it seems like it, they all sort of, like more than one of them have seen Harvey um, and sort of... Oh yeah, it turns out Vita has seen Harvey, right? And then the and doctor sort of too. The doctor who goes out, looking, so they all go out looking for Elwood. He's at bars, he drinks too much. And um, they find him, one of the, the head doctor, the head of the hospital finds him at a dive bar and then he hangs out with... Harvey and then he goes off with Harvey and he's like, no, don't give Elwood this magical potion that's going to make him sane. No, the doctor, want, the doctor wants to because the he, doctor wants to wants Harvey for himself. Harvey for himself, that's right. Um, but in the end, they don't give him this magical potion that would make him sane because that would make him just like everybody else, a perfectly normal human being. Just like all the best is one. Is that true? Yeah. Is that what yeah. happens? Yeah. And then a plane crashes into the building. And you realize that Donnie Darko has been stalked <laughs> by this rabbit the whole time who's actually himself. Wow. Um, uh, so... What surprised us about this? Did anything surprise us about this? I was surprised by, um, I was talking to a friend about, I'll give him a shout out. He just started listening to the podcast. So I was talking to my friend Kevin in Chicago, um, who we're talking about this play. Hey, Kevin. Um, and how, there's some really lovely sort of subversive elements in it. Like the way it sort of handles like the normal family or it has an ending where like the sort of the crazy family member is sort of inverted and we like find out that he might not be crazy or there's some, there's like interesting family dynamics at play. And there's some things that are sort of delightful and a little subversive, um, but it's grafted onto like the form of a very, very traditional comedy. Um, and like the beats of it are very, very steady. And I think that's what makes the play feel a little long in my estimation. Um, but I think lots of the characters are very delightful. Um, I'm not sure if all of them are necessary and many of them get more flushed out than um, maybe I would need. <laughs> um, but there's some like, this would be a great play for like a high school theater program or a college theater program where everyone sort of gets like a good part. Even the bit parts have like some fun. Um, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it feels, it feels like an old play where they just then stuck on this invisible rabbit thing. Yeah. It, it was a thick play. It was like real thick. And yeah, I didn't find it easy to get through. I think John no. did, or Kristen. Oh, did. I, yeah, I, uh, I mean, it was kind of long, but 
it was a breeze for me to read. I think it would be a breeze on stage. It's, um, well, I, I don't know if I agree with that. <laughs> you don't think so? It would be. I think, no, I mean, no, no. It's, it's weird. I feel like they were, it was both at the same time. It was breezy and it was a breeze that never ended. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which, which is, a, it's, a strange, it's a strange feeling to like have something light that just never fucking ends. I mean, it probably says something that I couldn't recall what was in the third act. It was like, okay, are we still going here? Yeah. Um, like the long search for him and he come, Elwood comes in and out, leaves his coat, calls um, the doctor's wife. He's here. He goes home, runs like, I mean, but I, I would hope that a production would be really fast paced. Yeah, I but could it, see an asshole director dragging this out, and it would be terrible. Yeah, um, I mean, you have to. I was talking like I think you could cut it, but it's not mm-hmm. a play where you can cut like scenes. Like you'd have to cut it yeah. like urgent. You'd have to really go in and be like, "I'm gonna like cut this arc and like find." I mean, so some of the searching for him, you could cut some of. I mean, I think um, in but, some, I think like but, some of the. Oh, sorry, John. Oh no, go ahead. I mean, I would cut, like, some of the doctor, like, the stuff with, like, the doctor and the nurse and, like... Yeah. I think... The flirtation all... between the one nurse and the daughter. Yeah. Like, I, I sort of think it, like... I think those are the things that are the elements that try to make it a more traditional play. Um, and I think they, like, really bog, the, bog it down. We haven't done many comedies, though, so I did appreciate that it was a kind of straight comedy. And and it may be an old style, but, you know, it's a style that worked. The, uh, like, the subversive element you talked about, something that, I don't know, it did kind of bother me, annoy me in a way that maybe was evident in my thesis that... Um, uh, I think it was a popular idea maybe a couple decades later. I, I think of it like 60s, 70s, this idea that like um, the insane, crazy people aren't really crazy. It's society that's crazy. Mm-hmm. I guess uh, Catch-22 is written not long after this, isn't it? Right, and there's um, actually a, a wonderful musical flop that sort of reflects uh, a similar idea that we will not cover in this podcast, unfortunately. It's a... What's the, what's the name of that musical? Anyone Can Whistle. Da, 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 da. Called Anyone Can Whistle. It's a Stephen Sondheim flop. I think it ran for like maybe two weekends. Hmm. Yeah, I don't Angela worry. Lansbury. Oh. Um, and I don't like that trope. I think it um, it's not accurate. It's not like. What do you not like know. about that trip? It doesn't. It doesn't jive with my experience of mental illness. Not that like psychiatry and the, you know the language of the DSM five or whatever we're on, and the whole language of it is is kind of subjective that is like faux scientific at times but um but that 
you know, like this pleasingly happy-go-lucky crazy person. Um, you know, they may be mentally in it, ill and it's affecting like them and the people around them. And like, it's, it's society is insane. That's true, but that doesn't mean that um, people can't be actually insane, mentally well, ill. Too. I think like this play couldn't be written as it is. Like, I feel like just culturally our discourse around like mental illness and like psychiatry and like this couldn't be written now the way no. like, I think up until recently this idea that idea of it's society that's crazy was was oh, still I, I think I think taken. that's 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 a trope that'll continue for until the end of time that idea that like the individual, all that shit. That that shit will never go away. I think like how it's done might be done slightly different because of you know uh, sensitivity towards mental illness, but that they'll still use it. It's they'll never let it go. But I do think it's interesting that Harvey is like referred to as like the Celtic trickster. Right. He is. It, it does he's kind part, of turn it, out that Elwood is part, insane. In yeah. Right. He's like, part. He's he's part of like a tradition uh, like a spiritual tradition which i feel like changes it slightly from just simply mm. he's a he's a fucking rabbit that he sees um that the sister do you know what i mean like it it changes it to, for me slightly um so like yeah. that i don't was know. surprising to me i, I mean i, I kind of didn't expect the thing that surprised me was to that see the, the rabbit. right when the sister said when she confided that she also saw it that that mm-hmm. did definitely surprise me. Um, but yeah, I'll never read this fucking play again. No, it's not even a play I really would like. It would have to take a really specific play. Like, I feel like this is one that I like saw it and I like I got it. Like skin of our teeth last week, I was like, oh, I want to see it. Like, I didn't love the script, but like reading it, I didn't love, but like, I want to see what someone does with this. This, like, unless it's a really specific take, I'm good. It's, yeah. I mean, I will, now when I would that, go see it just because I would go see it. But yeah, I mean, what that, kind of take could you have on this? Right. When the well, cabbie I, came in, when the cabbie came in at the end, I was like, he's about to say something that's going to change everything. Like, what did yeah. he say? He was like, just don't go like they come in real nice and they get that right. injection and then they're just like everyone else. Miserable um, yeah. and I guess that's that's what annoyed me. Um I actually have a couple like hot directorial takes that could be Okay, cool. go for it. We're we're jumping way ahead, but maybe this is not a play we're gonna talk about very much. Uh, I don't think we will. We can't um, see Harvey if that's your take. What? We can't see Harvey. We well that was my actually... second take. Um I think it'd be fun. Um, why not? Why can't we see Harvey? Why can't we experience the play through Elwood's eyes? Um, a, or, that was B. But my first take, which is a very, like, maybe historical take, grounding it in the 40s and sort of the, the mores of a suburban, upper-middle-class person, are really trying to, like, get in the head of what they're feeling like. And so, and he's such a mama's boy, this Elwood, and you know what they say about mama's boys. 
You can't see so it. Harvey is actually his gay lover that people are choosing not to see. Well, it, or it's like he can't like bring himself. To, it's like the it's like the queerness that he can't speak. Yeah. And he fucks he fucks a gay rabbit. No, I think I don't think he like I think it's like <laughs> the like I don't think he has sex with Harvey, but I think Harvey is like this like queer manifestation. And then I yeah. think that maybe something between him and the doctor happens. And then the doctor sees Harvey and then Vita sees Harvey with some sort of like, everyone's queer, some sort of queer recollection. I like that. And I mean, that may be like, I don't know if that has been a critical meaning of this play, but I like it as one. It has not. I mean, it may, there hasn't been someone done a PhD. No, no one would do a PhD thesis on this. I, I guarantee you someone on Christopher Street did a version of this like this in the mid-70s. Mm, possible. It gets and they, done. And, and they done. blew Harvey they blew Harvey on stage. Well, no, it's, har- it's, like, it's Harvey that. Milk's face. <laughs> I like that. That's good. Um, I, uh, yeah, so that's my interest. I, I also think like maybe you, you could see Harvey um i i had that thought too but i no i think it would be and then i'm sure a kevin, mistake kevin will like tell me i'm wrong on this, but i think he was talking about uh, in chicago there was a production sort of recently that they like took the mental health seriously but i don't know how you would really do that in like given like that feels like really you're fighting the text with that yeah. Um, but I, I think it, so it also says something about psychiatry, right? Like it makes comments regarding the like modern medicine and dealing with stuff. I'm not clear on what it's saying because I just, it was so that's dense. That's not and an thick. exact quote. What's that? That's not an exact quote. What's that exact quote? I missed it. It says modern medicine and dealing with stuff. <laughs> yeah. But I do like, so wait, we were tracking this, right? Like the twenties were like <laughs> plays around like the family and the thirties were like dealing with institutions. Um, I do think that in some of these in the Sherwood play, where the, like there's that the Nobel Prize winner, like he's like, like a psychologist or he's at least like interested in psychology, evolutionary psychology. Like there is sort of a fascination right now with the mind in Streetcar Name Desire, which is coming up. It ends with psychiatry. Um, so maybe we can map on to like some public fascination with mental health or it, with understanding. It's not um, condition. the one about his sister, is it? No, it's not class menagerie. Streetcar Named Desire? No. Um, I don't is it street, yeah, it's Streetcar Named Desire? That's not really... Not to, not to spoil it, but she, oh, she leaves no. in a street jacket. Or, or she does, doesn't she? Yeah. Oh, but but it is... Kindness of strangers. But it is interesting that, like, Harvey is part of, like, the Celtic spiritual tradition from, like, hundreds, thousands of years thousand or you know a thousand years ago like in modernity dealing with something that's old like that i would love for you to put on an occultist production of harvey Mm -hmm. an occultist one yeah 
Like oh, dealing with the, like dealing with like the metaphysical reality of a puka. <laughs> you should make the characters Irish for sure. Right. I want to see Chris's anti-Irish version of this play. No! Fuck! Wait. Okay, this is good. This is no. good. Okay. Harvey is the manifestation of Elwood Dowd's shame about rejecting Irish culture to assimilate into white America. Well, that's pretty good. Like, and that would fit, that would fit chronologically. Um... These all sound like terrible productions. What? <laughs> but it is all in rep. I like the homosexual free. reading of it. Um, I think that's a smart reading. Uh, it was in Philadelphia a few years ago. At the Walnut? At the Walnut. Of course it was. This fucking screams Walnut. It was um, Ben Dibble, who you like. I oh, I bet he's great. I do like Ben Dibble. Yeah, he was that one. I'd watch as like the ladies from the mainland say, I'd watch him read the telephone book. Um, but I mean, so the Walnut Street Theater does like just broad comedies, yeah, this popular is musicals, like, and it's that kind of play. Yeah, it? it's like Arsenic and Old Lace. And you know, and I love Arsenic and Old Lace. I guess why, why shouldn't it win a Pulitzer? I like that it went to a comedy, not many, I and mean, it's escapist for one thing in 1944. Mm-hmm. But, you know, not many comedy books probably win Nobel Prize. Not many comedy films win an Oscar. And I don't think we see many comedy plays win but not, uh, like, the I would say been, they, It hasn't been a shutout. Like It hasn't been a shutout. I can't, like, especially in the, yeah, I think there's been, like, it's probably at least a third. Um, I don't know about that. This is maybe only the second or third, like, straight comedy. That is true. Why do we think it won the Pulitzer? Oh, there, Just, thank you. It's 1945. The war's over. You know, doesn't have war? to be a big thing. The war isn't over. Are you saying that the war is never over? I'm saying it was probably given in the first few months of the year uh, when okay. the war so was this is, going on. This isn't like a coded thing about the Rothschilds, right? <laughs> uh, it's not. Chris, did you do any uh, researching about this year and like what? Why Harvey won? Um, I did. Yes, um, I was interested because this was the year that Last Menagerie was on stage. Oh, and we talked about that. The, that's the Tennessee Williams play that has the autobiographical elements about his sister. Exactly. Yeah, it was maybe his first big play. Um, and the jury did consider some other plays, one by John Patrick, who we'll read in the future, but they decided on uh, Mary Chase, I said, um, on account of its richness of content and the fresh imaginative field it has taken over. In plot and character, it marks a departure from the usual Broadway play. And then only one of the jurors even mentions the Blasphemagery in writing in his report. I have not seen the Blasphemagery, but I am seeing it tonight. And if, as seems unlikely, I should wish to put it first. I shall send a supplementary report. 
There was no supplementary report. And so the advisory board voted the award to Harvey. That's so crazy. The Glass and Hatchery is like one of my favorite plates of all time. Can I ask real Wait quick, what, what happens in the Glass Menagerie? What um, it's, it's a family based on like Tennessee Williams family. So it's um, the mother, the sister, and the... Uh, the narrator, uh, Tom, is Tennessee. It like is a memory play. So you see it's like narrated by Tom sort of in the future ambiguously. That's been handled many different ways, sort of autobiographically as Tennessee Williams, like in a hotel room typing it out. Or uh-huh. there's been productions where he's like, uh, like a gay dude in the 50s cruising, telling it. I saw a production where he was like just a homeless alcoholic. Um, anyway, it's about uh, his mother, Amanda, um, who's sort of like this like, sort of lost it old Southern lady who's sort of detached from reality. Um, and his sister who is like handicapped physically and or mentally like that varies production to production yeah but that gets played a lot of ways is very very shy and one night tom brings a friend from work and because the mother keeps telling him he should bring a gentleman caller for and the mother makes a huge deal of this like really builds it up really builds up this is going to be the sister's chance to like marry on and it's sort of yeah. like a clash of realities. Like it's, you know, it's a, it's a scale 10 for the family and it's like not a thought for the other guy. And so it's this weird sort of confrontation of those two. Uh, what happens at the end? Tom leaves, doesn't he? And leaves, says... Tom leaves. I think the sister sort of like confused. The mother sort of broken. Sad. Does she break it? She collects glass animals. That's where it comes uh, from. Yeah. Does she break those? One of the, I think he breaks it or she, it's like broken. It's broken. One of the, one of the figurines break. Uh, Who would you be in a, oh, in a hobby? Me? Yeah. I want the be, rabbit. I want to be the rabbit. You'd be good as the rabbit. The gay rabbit. The gay rabbit. Who would you be, Chris? Uh... I don't know. I like Elwood. I like, um, yeah, I don't know. Probably, probably Elwood was one I liked. I think you should be the cab driver, John. I want to be on stage crew. You don't want to be the psychiatrist. No, I just want to be backstage wearing black. Yeah. Smoking a doobie. (laughs) <laughs> all right so next week we are reading state of the union anyone want to take a, any guesses on what that's about it's a political drama john i was trying to think of something clever but i fucking miserably failed yeah political drama i think it's a political drama d um drama d. a republican dark horse candidate Apparently inspired by the 1941 of Walter Reed. Um, I don't know much more about any of that stuff that I just said. About who? Walter Winch. Oh, yeah. He was the anti-war dude. Okay. No, Wendell Wilkie. Wendell Wilkie. Wendell there Wilkie. we go. Yeah, Walter Winchell was the gossip dude. 
Wendell Wilkie was the anti-war dude. It wasn't Roosevelt anti-war in 1940 election, kind of. Well, we'll find out. Well, yeah. Maybe we won't, but... Um, I just want you to know that we could have been doing an episode about Oklahoma this week, which... We skipped Oklahoma. Because it didn't win a Pulitzer. It's prize for drama. Um, it didn't win a Pulitzer. We've had a much more interesting conversation than about rabbit play. I think I like this more than Oklahoma. You don't know that because you never <laughs> have seen it or engaged with the material. So... Um, all right, everyone. We're going to close out to Sentimental Journey. Say goodnight, everyone. Good night, everyone.